God, I pray, would you let your grace be powerfully at work among us here today to transform the way we live in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you probably heard the news. Uh, a lot of New York was without power, and even this morning, I understand, still some without power, and certainly that's the case in Louisiana as well with uh, the storm that blew through several uh, people without Power, And I don't know about you, um, man, that's always frustrating, isn't it, when the power goes out? I can't imagine when it's out for a long period of time. I've been through that and been through hurricanes before where it's days and days and weeks before you get power restored again. And it always frustrates me when I get frustrated when the power flickers for just a moment, right? And like, oh, how can that happen? Something like that. Or God forbid the internet should go down for just a couple of seconds. You're like, oh, how can I survive without internet? and access to the World Wide Web for just even a moment in time. And it's in moments like that that I sometimes have to pause and reflect and go, wow, there is most of the world that doesn't have what we have to be able to flick a switch and power goes on almost every single time. And so just calm down, take a little pill and relax. And, and often when I think about the power that we have in our electrical grid here in America, I, I often think uh, about people who I've had the opportunity to meet over 25 years who have left the church. And sometimes God just brings them to me and I meet them at a restaurant or a store or on a cruise somewhere and I begin to have a conversation. And inevitably when uh, I ask them what was it that led them away from the church, it's usually some variation of well, you know what, it, it just wasn't doing anything for me. It was just a routine. It just seemed to be a waste of time. There wasn't anything changing in me. It was boring. And what I hear with all of those kind of answers is there was no power in that. <laughs> There was no power at all. It was like I was just going through the motions. There was no power at all. And, and, and that grieves me because I've grown up as one and I've experienced in my life, I have seen the power of God at work in community. And I've seen God do miraculous signs and wonders. And I've been amazed at stories of how God is transforming people's lives and how he has transformed my life through the power of being involved in wonderful communities like this one. And I often share with them a story or two, and they look at me like I'm from Mars, like, well, that just wasn't my experience at all. And it pains me, because I want everybody to tap into the power of God. And that's really the precipice for this series that we put together for you for this summer, Powerful, because God has more than we can ever hope for or imagine. And my feeling is that there are so many people that just walk in and walk out, and there's nothing going on in their lives. There's no tinge. There's no excitement of the Holy Spirit working in your life. There's, there's no drawing him to yourself. There's nothing changing in your life, and that pains me because God has so much more that he wants you to tap into. And we started from the first work talking about purpose. That was our word for the day, that God has a purpose for that. And when we understand the purpose, we tap into the power. And then we talked about the turnaround. And, and so that God intends that to happen. And that's what God is doing. And there's power in, in that turnaround. And, and then we talked about um, being in awe and amazement at what God is doing. And there's power in that when you just stop and look at what God is doing. And you're amazed by that. And then we talked about unity, that there's power when the body is unified together. You experience power in that way. And then last week with pressure that even under pressure, you see the power of God at work. And, and today, we want to talk about placement. 
And when you really understand placement, you tap into the power of God. So what I want to do today is unpack what was just read just a moment ago that John read for us in Acts chapter 6. And if you've got a Bible, if you don't and want one, uh, they're right underneath your seats in front of you. And you look at Acts chapter 6, we'll project some of these verses, but I'm going to bounce around a little bit. So if you've got your own or you've got version Bible app, um, look at the outline, whatever you want to do. Take a look at verse 1 in chapter 6. In those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing... Like, well, in what days? Well, that, like long ago days, 2,000 years ago in those days. Well, there's more to those days. And so you got to go back to chapter 5. And at the end of chapter 5, we see that the apostles were being persecuted. And they were being whipped. And so this wasn't just a little thing. They called it flogging. And they would tie on a whip with bone spurs and, and metal and rocks. And so they'd whip your back. And it really ripped skin off your body. And so what happened with these apostles who were flogged? They walk away, the end of verse 4. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. You got to be kidding. Flogging killed people back in that day. And they're walking away rejoicing that they suffered for the name of Jesus. Man, that's got to make a difference for the people doing the whipping, right? <laughs> and the Sanhedrin and the ruling council, like this is not the way people usually walk away from a flogging. They don't usually walk away rejoicing. They crawl away from that or they're carried away from that. They don't go away rejoicing, but they went away rejoicing and they keep talking about Jesus and the name of Jesus and, and talking about what he is dead, his death and his resurrection. And in those days when that was going on, when persecution was breaking out against the church and against the people, in those days, the number of the disciples were increasing. It doesn't sound like an environment where the numbers of disciples should be increasing. It sounds like just the opposite, that they went underground and nobody was following Jesus at this point, but it was just the opposite. In fact, at this time, some scholars believe that over 25 to 30,000 people were following Jesus at this point that were his disciples. So that's a far cry from just starting with the 12 and then the 3,000 and then more and more being added. This is a multiplication, not an addition going on here. The multi and just to give you an idea, because I throw out a number and I'm like, eh, whatever, a number, 30,000, yeah, that sounds great. Well, just imagine, uh, you know, on, on average, we've gotten up towards of 600 people in, in a weekend here. And so just to make the math easy, using 600 and, and you talk about 30,000, that means that's 50 St. John communities that are gathering together worshiping Jesus. This is how fast this movement of God is growing in the midst of this. But you know what happens when you have growth? You know what comes with growth? Problems come with growth. <laughs> Problems always come with growth. That's sort of the way it is because you grow and then you experience problems. And this is what the church is experiencing. Not only external problems, they've had those almost since the beginning, but now there's some internal squabbling going on that we want to talk about. But what's really interesting, I want to pause here for a moment, because any of you who have ever had a business class in your life, or you read a business book, or you've been to a seminar, or you had a boss who attended a seminar, you've probably seen the S-curve before at some point, right? Nod your head, some of you have seen this before. And what this really is, is when you start a business, you start, and, and God willing, anyway, it grows, and you go through this growth phase. And at some point, you begin to plateau, and the reason you plateau is because what you've been doing no longer works anymore, 
And, and so you have to transform your business or you just continue to go down and your business goes away. And so most businesses, hence the S-curve, learn to transform their business and, and go back up. But then you get more growth. And what comes with more growth? More problems, and they have to do the same thing over again. And I shared that with you, not so you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You must have read a business book. No, the reason I share this is because I've seen this in churches, and I, and I see this in the book of Acts. This is the same thing that happened. Incredible growth, twenty to 30,000 believers growing dramatically, and now all of a sudden, man, there's problems, and they're starting to arise. What are those problems? Let's take a look at the rest of verse 1. The Hellenistic Jews, those uh, were the ones that uh, were not Jews to begin with. And so these Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And I know some of you are like, really, that's a problem? Like, that's really going to cause a big problem in the church? Well, it was a big problem in the church because there were a lot of widows, and so the reason that was a problem is because widows back then, they didn't have any way of supporting themselves. So either they had to wait for somebody to take them into their household uh, or they were begging. And so the church saw this problem and what the church did is said, we can't let these people um, just suffer and beg on their own. Let's take care of them. And so they began to take care of them. And when they were small, that was a lot easier. When you have 30,000 people and a lot more widows, it began to be a problem. And so now there's some prejudice going on. We don't have enough food for everybody, so we're going to give our people food first, and then your people. And what do you mean your people, our people? I thought we're all Jesus people. I don't understand. And so this was the problem in the church of what's going on. And there's a lot of good lessons uh, just in, in this. And one of the ones I, I want to point out to you, it, it, it really is the responsibility of the church to take care of needs. It's easy to say, well, you know, we just do Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We pray. We do that. Um, you let the government take care of other things. Let somebody else do all the other work. And like, no, that's not the way we operate. Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we do. We love widows. That's what God told us to do. And so we're loving widows. The early church was also known for taking in orphans. And that was such a radical thought because people would just cast children aside if they didn't want them. And these Christians, followers of Jesus, like we can't just allow these children to be on the street by themselves. Let's, t let's adopt them. And they built orphanages and took care of these young children. And it was such a radical difference, a, a way of living their lives that they, they saw that as their responsibility to take care of the needs of the community. Which bodes the question, well, who really is the church? Well, the church isn't a building. It isn't an organization. It's, it's you. People are the church. Pastor Jet, this week on Tuesday, we had a memorial service for one of our founding uh, members. And he did such a great job. And I, I love the story that he told on Tuesday. He said, uh, Phyllis uh, Wysite, one of our members here, when and I passed away, went over and, and took over to Evelyn's house. He said what really, in essence, was a Walmart store. <laughs> like everything you could possibly need. Here are plates, here are cups, here are napkins, and here's toiletries, here's all the food and stuff you need, and just dropped all this off. And because and, uh, I know you're going to have people coming to visit and relatives who are going to want to stay with you, and I don't want you to have to worry about anything, so here you go. And I, it was after the memorial service, we had a little luncheon afterward in our gym, and I was talking to I'm like, Phyllis, that was so nice of you to do that. That was really neat. And she goes, you know what? When Lee her husband passed away. Um, Evelyn did that for me so many years ago, and it was such a joy to be able to return the favor to her. 
I thought, man, that, that is the church. This is what the church does. It has a need, and it takes care of those needs. That's a beautiful representation of what God intended the church to do. So what did the disciples do? Take a look at verse 2. So the 12, these are the apostles. The 12 gathered all the disciples. That's what they were called. They weren't called Christians. They weren't called the church. They were called all the disciples because they were constantly learning about Jesus and following him. So they were called disciples. So the 12 gathered all the disciples. I don't know if that was all 25, 30,000, but a number of them. They gathered together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, this whole voters assembly that they put together. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn over the responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I love this example for us. They didn't just ignore the problem and hope it goes away. I know there's a lot of people who love to do that. Maybe I just ignore it long enough, I won't have to deal with it. Or put their head in the sand. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to look at it. I'll just pretend it doesn't really exist at all. And uh, they dealt with this head on, which I, I love. They hear the grumbling. They hear the rumblings. Like, okay, we, we need to deal with this. And so what do we do? Uh, let's bring everybody together. And everybody together, I want you to pick seven people. Pick seven people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And, and I, I love this part of the story because he wasn't just looking for seven volunteers. All right, out of 30,000, we need seven. Uh, let's count off. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. You guys are now in charge. Like, they weren't doing that. Can I, they weren't begging for, vol- oh, please. Can somebody help with the serving of the widows? Would, who, who, can anybody, who hasn't done anything in a while? Anybody, can I just raise your hand if you're willing to help? They weren't begging for that. They're like, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find leaders. And we're going to find leaders who are passionate about Jesus. They're full of the spirit of God and they're full of wisdom. And, and you find them because we don't know 30,000 people. You pick among yourselves who you think are seven people that can rise to the top for this because we need to change the way we're doing business because it's not working anymore. <laughs> and so we want to give some structure to this. And, and I love this model. I think it's a great example. And frankly, you should be proud. If this is your church, you should be proud of the way uh, we pick our elders and our board of directors. Uh, we don't get to our voters meeting and say, anybody who wants to be on the board this year, that's great. Uh, we don't have any people on our board or on our elders like, oh, they're really good business people. They don't really come to church at all. They don't really love Jesus that much and they don't give anything to the church at all. Uh, but man, they're really good business people. So we want them on our board to make some business decisions. For No, we don't have any. Of those. I've been in churches like that. I've consulted with churches and every time I hear that, it makes my blood boil. I'm like, how on earth would you put the responsibility and the authority uh, of the church and leading the church into people who don't even love Jesus? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And so we embark on a six-month process, and it's starting now. So if you've got some people you think would be great to serve on the board or are full of the spirit and wisdom, you can nominate them. You'll see more information next week in the worship folder on that. And we take about six months going through a process of interviews and talking, even talking to the spouses, and here's what it entails, and get to know them and get to know us. We choose really wisely who we put in that position. And I think that's a great model for the church. 
The other thing that jumps out at me here, and I want to share this with you, and I'm just going to say a little caveat with this. I'm going to apologize to my staff and to my elders and to my board who's here because they've heard this so many times, like, oh, really, i got to hear about ARC one more time. Yes, you do have to hear about ARC one more time because I I love this. This transformed uh, my thinking, and I think it comes right out of the book of Acts. I actually stole it from a business leader who was a passionate follower of Jesus back in Houston. Um, But the A in ARC stands for authority. And this is what the apostles were, the 12. This is what Jesus gave them the command. I want you to go and and take my message out, and I want you to establish the church. You have the authority to do that. But what I love about this is they were also smart enough to realize that just because we have the authority, that doesn't mean that we should do everything. Because it would have been easy for them to, okay, what is, what's the problem? Widows? Okay, great. We'll do widows. And go, Peter, you want to do widows this week? And you'll do it next week? Great. John, you got the week after that? And we'll take care of that? Great. And then the next problem arises. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, 12 of us? Great. We'll take on another problem. And oh, another one? Great. We'll take on another problem. And eventually, um, you see what happens is they're so busy spinning plates that they've neglected the very first thing that they were called to do, which is to lift up the name of Jesus and proclaim his truth and to pray. And so they knew intuitively what we should all know as leaders, that um, I might be the authority, but I need to find somebody who can be responsible for that decision. And what are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to turn over the responsibility to them. That's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. Find those people, and we're going to turn the responsibility over to them. I don't have to be the decision maker for every single decision. Because if you're an authority figure and you're making every decision, you're not going to grow very much. If everything has to come through you and filter through you. And I tell you, I, I love this uh, about this church. This is the way we sort of do business here. Um, Soundboard is a wonderful example of this. When we put this sound system in, uh, it was Pastor Jet and a team of musicians and gifted people who understand that world. And I don't know if you've ever seen the soundboard back there. It looks like Star Trek, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing back there. So I'm not even allowed to walk back there. They don't want me anywhere near that. And that's good because I don't want, uh, I have authority here. I don't have any responsibility for what goes on back there because we have gifted, talented people who are good at that. And they love doing it. And they know, and they speak that language. Uh, when we first got the sound system in, Jonathan had sent a lot of emails about the system and all these different kind of things. And, and at one point, I, reading through that email, and, and literally, there was, uh, I read through it, I'm like, Jonathan, I replied back, I'm like, I understood about 2% of what you said in this email. Like, that, like, I didn't understand the language, but I am 100% appreciative that there are people like you who are overseeing and taking care of this and taking responsibility for it on their own. And they do it, and they do a wonderful job week in and week out. They're here, they're responsible for that. And then the, the K in the ARC stands for knowledge because you got to have some knowledge people around you that aren't responsible to make a decision or to lead. And this is what the apostles did. Hey, all of you, 25, 30,000 people of you, uh, we don't know 30,000 people, but you know some people. So can you be a knowledge base for us and funnel us some people who you think are full of the spirit of God and of wisdom so we can lay hands on them and pray for them and turn over the responsibility to them to take care of this need that we have in the community. And this is what they did. And so what happens? Well, take a look at verse seven. We know what happens. So the word of God spread. This is what happens. Now they're on another growth curve. The S curve now is moving again. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Again, multiplication, not addition. So another huge trajectory of growth. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I I, I love that piece. 
I know you can skip over that in a hurry, but a large number of the priests became obedient to that. I, I would love to be a part of that convert. I'd love to see how that played out. Like, what do you mean you're leaving the priesthood? You know, your, your father was a priest, your grandfather, and your great-grandfather, you've been priests like forever. Uh, I, I know. Well, why are you leaving to follow, follow Jesus and be one of his disciples? You gotta be kidding me. We've got this structure, you know, the sacrificial system. You've been doing this for, I know. I, I got into this because I, I, I love God. Um, but I'm not seeing a lot of people in, in this structure loving God. It seems like they're just doing what they have to do. They're just following a bunch of rituals and laws. And I got in this to help people, but it doesn't seem like we're helping people. All we're doing is heaping more laws and requirements on them, and, and it's just more of a burden for them. And, and I look at these Jesus followers, and I see them, and they're loving God, not because they have to, but because they want to. And, and they're loving one another. Look at how they're loving one another. Nobody has to tell them to give money to the poor. They're doing it. They're living it out. I want to be a part of that movement. And so a large number of priests were leaving um, the sacrificial system and going over. And I imagine what that must have been like for them to proclaim, hey, listen, I spent my life sacrificing animals on the altar. You used to bring me your animals and come up and bring me a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, pour out its blood and put it over the altar. And, and then you'd go home and you'd wonder, did God accept the sacrifice? But let me tell you now, I am a Jesus follower and Jesus was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And so you don't have to wonder like you used to when you brought a lamb to the temple to be sacrificed, if God would accept that lamb. Was it perfect enough? was it good enough because Jesus was the perfect sinless lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and when he died and God rose him from the dead it was God saying I accept that sacrifice and now followers of Jesus you have been set free you no longer have to give any sacrifices you are free I can't imagine how fun that must have been to go from that system into preaching Jesus and lifting up the name of Jesus and so no wonder the word of God spread rapidly. This was God's idea from the very beginning. Paul wrote uh, a letter to uh, the Ephesian church, and some people think it's a cyclical letter that went around to all the different churches in the area, not just to that Ephesian church. And I've often said, I, I, I pray and I hope that we and all churches can become more like an Ephesians 4 church. And what I mean by that is it comes from chapter four of Ephesians. And I, I want to back up. I didn't print this one out for you, but I want to read verse uh, 11 for this. So Christ himself gave the apostles and he gave the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. For, for what purpose? So they can take care of all the needs. No. So, so they can serve everybody. No. So everybody can just come and have a good time and not be required to do anything. No. Why did God give apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? What does verse 12 actually say? Well, it says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is what God intended, that the body of Christ would be built up when, when everybody is apart. It's not just one, a few people. Well, isn't that what we pay the apostles for? No. This is all of our job. The job of the leaders is to equip people for works of service. Okay, one of the ways we do this, and now I'm going to get into your assignment for uh, this week. One of the ways we do that here at St. John is what we call gifts of grace or your spiritual fingerprint. Because one of the things we don't want to do here at St. John is we're not interested in plugging holes. Like, hey, we need three people to do this. We need seven volunteers for this. We need 18 volunteers. We need 104 people for this. We don't want to beg for volunteers. 
uh, we want to find what your unique spiritual fingerprint, what gifts and passions God has placed on your heart. And so a number of years ago, I ran into a lady called Diana Myers, and she uh, put together this wonderful ministry called The Spiritual Fingerprint. And it helps you discover your spiritual gifts. And, and I ran into her in California, somebody put me in contact with her, and I said, I want to do this first, so let me do your little survey, and let me see if I like it. And, and she goes, okay, take it, and then uh, a couple days later, I'll call you, and we'll go over it. And she gave me a little one-page summary, and I won't bore you with all those details. But about five minutes into our conversation, I said, Diana, i got to stop you for a moment, because it sounds like you've known me all my life. <laughs> like in five minutes, you're tapping into things that, that are just resonating true in my heart. And she goes, well, that's true. Like when when you know um, questions to ask, you can get to good answers and good responses. And this is what I love doing, John. I'm like, this is awesome. So I, I brought it to my staff there. And then I came here, brought it to the staff here. And people who have taken it love this experience. So we want you to have this experience. What do you got to do? And it's printed for you on your worship folder. So if you want to take a picture of that, you can take a picture of that if you want to. Um, or it's on our website too. We wanted you to get in touch with this. I hope every single one of you, I hope we crash the website, frankly. I hope so many people are doing this. Go Go to spiritualfingerprint.com. That's what you need to do. And then you click on spiritual gift test, and then you're going to click add that to the cart, and then you're going to view your cart, and you're going to see $75. And you're going to go, oh, I don't want to pay $75. And you're like, well, that's okay. Because right after that, you're going to click on a coupon code and enter. You ready? S-T-J-O-H-N-2019, St. John 2019. And guess what that does? You apply the coupon, and the amount changes to zero. You can pay 75 if you want, that's fine. Um, but we're, we're paying, we're not paying 75 per person. We've negotiated a nice rate uh, with her to do that. But you don't have to pay anything with that and then proceed to check out and take the test. It's about a 20, 30 minute. So if you take more than 30 minutes, you're thinking too much about it. So don't do that. But I want every one of you to do that because we want to know how God has wired you. And frankly, if you never serve at St. John, that's a disappointment to me because we're missing out as a body if you're not involved and engaged and serving in some kind of way in an area you're passionate about. But I tell you, when you take this, it'll help you in life because this is not just about St. John. This is knowing you self better and the way God has uniquely wired you. So I want you to do that. And here's what that screen looks like, by the way. You'll see the spiritual gift test. You see $75 and add to the cart. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Are they going to charge me $75? Not if you have a coupon code. And you remember the coupon is St. John 2019. All right. So go and this week sometime do that because we want you to plug in because we know when, when this happens, when God does this, here's what Ephesians 4.16 says. For him, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's what we all are. Supporting ligaments grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we call more pastors and staff people? No. As each part does its work work. As we heap more stuff and more responsibility on, on the staff, no. As each part does its work. This is the way God intended it to do. And you know what happens when you do this well? You get more problems. That's what we're going to be facing. And I tell you, looking at St. John over the history, we've gone through some tremendous growth. And, and I knew that sort of coming in here that, you know, we'd sort of peak that growth and we were going to have to make some changes in order to then grow again. And that's what we've been working on for the last few years of putting some structures in place and some things in place, ministry in place. And I believe, man, we are ready to take off again. But here is a crucial component of this. If we're going to tap into the power of God. We need you uh, to tap in because we need you to be a part of this as each part does its work. But you know what comes with more problems? 
more people coming and being connected with Jesus and more people connecting with others and more people changing the world. And that gets me excited and I hope it does you as well.